There are only three ministries that we partner with because there's so many to partner with in serving the community. We partner with Project SOAR to mentor students in Evanston. We partner with Safe Families to engage uh, and care for children whose families are going through difficult times. And the third one is Senior Connections. And just to be honest with you, it's not that cool, right? In our culture, where older adults are often dissed and dismissed and kind of stalked away somewhere until they die, you have an opportunity to minister to a segment of our society that is significantly neglected, and your life will be changed. I spent most of my 20s around senior citizens caring for my grandmother, and the perspective that I got in seeing what they went through and where I'm going to one day be changed my life. So you have an opportunity here, students, families, even families with kids, to grow in a relationship with a senior in our community that you can be matched with senior connections, and you can love them and encourage them. It's a big deal. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray uh, that God will stir you up to do such a thing. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, you're good, and you've brought us here, and there is a lot going on here. In our lives, in our world, there's suffering over this planet, there's injustice, there's brutality, there is war, there is evil, there is immorality, there is racism, there is everything. But Lord, sometimes we've got to say, okay, what are we going to do? Where can we spend our time? Where can we spend our energies? And this morning we have an opportunity to connect with those in Evanston, who right now are lonely, their bodies are hurting, many of them are close to death, and we have an opportunity as individuals and as a church to minister to them. And it just simply takes the ability to be available. And I ask that maybe someone here, Lord, you would stir them up right now. Some students, a man, some woman, a couple, a single, a family, stir them up right now to engage and to care for those in our community who are neglected and to build relationships, to minister, be instruments of grace. We thank you for the opportunity to serve. We thank you that we're in this phase of life that we can serve because one, way, one day we will be near the end of our lives. So Lord, help us to make the most of the opportunity while we have it. And be with us here this morning. So we talk about a lot of things from your word concerning relationships and what's going on in our hearts. And may you be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Glad you're here. You keep showing up. <laughs> We're going through the book of Song of Songs. If you're new, look out. <laughs> it's a book about romance and love and even sex. One of the things that plays into that is weddings. And as a pastor, I have done a lot of weddings over the years. And one of the things that I tell um, the bride and groom, and I encourage them strongly, is to keep it simple. They can branch out and do a few different things. They can do the unity candle. They can do communion together. I'll even let them wash one another's feet. We've done that before as well. 
But beyond that, keep it simple. Because I did not. And I've shared with some of you before, but I don't think you quite know all the details. You know, when I became a believer, I just wanted to do everything right. I wanted to do everything biblical. I became a believer later in life at 19. And so when it came time to get married, I already told you that story. But you don't, maybe don't know the wedding ceremony story. Um, my poor wife. She did not want to give much input into the ceremony, so it was all me. And this are, these are some of the things we did in my non-simple wedding ceremony. It went like this. Um, we had two pastors. No theological significance to that. We had two pastors, and my best man was my grandma, no joke, in her wheelchair. My 13-year-old didn't know that story. She's like, did she wear a suit? <laughs> no. No, no tux for her. Uh, yeah, she's a wheelchair. And we had congregational singing, which could be normal, and then we had special singing. We even took up an offering. I'm just messing with you. We didn't take up an offering. <laughs> Why would we take up an offering? <laughs> All right. But the two unique features to our uh, wedding uh, was we had this man, and he's probably, I don't know, what was he, 88? I don't know, I think it's 88. Mr. Townsend was his name. He walked up on the stage with a, a walker, and he sat down, and he had a microphone, and he had a hymnal. And what he did, he led us in How Great Thou Art. He would sing, he would sing the stanzas, and then he would look up slowly, and then we would all sing the chorus. And people were crying. Oh, it's so cute. It's so sweet. It was, it was awesome, right? Okay, that was a unique feature. Another unique feature is this, is, this is the one I want to share with that I had to be the most biblical, and I don't know if any wedding's ever done this besides mine, unfortunately. Um, uh, my wife, I told you this before, walked down the aisle before I did. You know? Weddings are always waiting for the bride to come in. Well, she went in first, and they all waited for me to come in. <laughs> it's not that I'm trying to be awesome. Uh, it's just that Christ comes for his church. Just trying to be biblical, all right? See, my poor wife put up with a lot. And, and weddings can be taxing. They can be irritating. They can be annoying. That's what weddings are after the times. And that's what you see, so keep it simple. The wedding we're going to look at today in the Bible is very elaborate. We finally have come to this, this time of a grand wedding between the relationship of this man and woman. So this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to talk about a wedding preparation, but get this. We're also going to talk about marriage preparation. Today is a bonus Sunday. We're going to have two sermons today. One's going to be on wedding preparation, and the other's going to be on marriage preparation. Now, for those of you who are single and you're thinking, I have no wedding in my future. I have no marriage in my future. I have no date in my future. I have nothing in my future. Why would I even be thinking about preparing for marriage? Well, let me tell you this. Most of you will one day get married. And for better or worse, you are preparing for your marriage right now. For better or for worse, your character is being shaped right now. And what you're doing in your life right now for godliness or worldliness will carry over into 
your marriage. So wherever you're at, let's pay attention as we go back to Song of Songs. Go ahead and turn there. Song of Songs. I I think we're finding ourselves now in chapter 3. And a little background. Remember the content of the song is a growing relationship between a man and a woman who are in love. We saw the courtship. We saw their engagement time, and now they are getting married. It is an intimate encounter that includes their desire for one another and even their sexual desire. And for a book that we've been in for a while that's supposed to be a lot about sex, you're wondering, where is all the sex? Why haven't we seen that yet? Oh, you just wait. It's coming. It's a biblical book, uh, so we want to set it in the context of the whole Bible. Let me put up for you what I want to show you each week. Song of Songs. Song of Songs shows us a romance that celebrates God's gift of love, pleasure, and fidelity while simultaneously pointing forward to the perfection of love and someone greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ. So the big picture is that God and his people are depicted in a marriage in uh, the Old Testament and Christ and the church are depicted in the New Testament. That's why this series is called Longing for Love, Looking to Christ. Though we have this relationship between the man and the woman spoken about in the song, there is a greater love that we have in Christ. And that's why I think it's important for us to branch out today to not only talk about wedding preparation, but also marriage preparation, because that gets at the heart. Because I don't know if you know it yet, relationships and marriages require a lot of work. And the more you do beforehand... It's always going to be better later on, though you'll always be working on your relationship. And if you don't want to put, on the, put in the work, as a married person in here, if you don't want to put in the work, it's going to be tough. Think about the famous TV show that none of you ever watched, or I will mock you, is the show The Bachelor. Oh, I see you out there. I'm not going to mock you too bad. I don't watch The Bachelor, but uh, I did some uh, research on this very important show, and the concept is the guy goes on a lot of dates with a lot of girls, and finally lands on one. And and most of the time, ah, it's supposed to end in a proposal for marriage. But I was wondering, all right, after 21 seasons, how many of these relationships have lasted? I just, I did some really serious research here. And um, it seems like, now I know some of you who watch the show can dispute the details, but of 21 seasons, one relationship of the finalist of the finalists one relationship has lasted which is basically under a five percent success rate uh, and some of you say yeah but what about that couple or that okay i'll give you two or three how's that for a success rate that's that's terrible right i'm hoping you can do better but if you're looking to the bachelor for tips and tricks on dating and connecting with your future spouse It's not going to go well for you, right? So that's why we're turning to the Word and what the Word has to say. And today, we're going to look at another bachelor. Here we go. Verse 6 of chapter 3. Let's read it. What is that coming up from the wilderness, like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant? to Solomon. He's arriving for his wedding, and he, and he makes an elaborate entrance. You can see the dust cloud of smoke as he comes up from the wilderness, 
And you can smell them coming with all the perfumes and fragrant powders. Did you notice the frankincense and myrrh? What does that remind you of? Uh, baby Jesus, right? The, these gifts of myrrh and frankincense that he was, it was given. Why, why was it given to him? Because he royalty. He was a royalty. Jesus Christ royalty. And here we have the royalty of King Solomon. Now, hey, we've said it before. This may not be about King Solomon and his first wife, right? We've said that before. This may be a song that he wrote about an everyday man and an everyday woman falling in love. And when they, they see each other, they, they view each other as royalty. That's how much in love they are, where he is the king coming for his queen. My wife and I have something in common with the uh, biggest royal wedding ever. The lady who did the flowers for the wedding of Princess Diana and uh, Prince Charles also did our flowers, no joke. They had tons of flowers if you watched it on TV. We had one piece. So we're pretty much royalty. So, verse 7. Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 mighty men some of the mighty men of Israel. Okay, what a wedding procession. Uh, this litter is like an, an elevated couch or a carriage bed where Solomon is reclining as he's carried above a, by a variety of servants. And, and around him are 60 warriors. His groomsmen are kind of like the secret service, and they are packing heat. Look at verse 8. All of them wearing swords an expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. So your groomsmen probably wore uh, a tux with a bow tie, but these warriors are wearing swords and they're ready to protect the king from assassins or, or terrorists. And, and these mighty men show that the groom is worthy of respect and honor, which is very telling of his character and his leadership. Look some more details at this carriage bed. Verse 9. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its post of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple. Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. Solomon's mother is there, and she has crowned him with a crown on the day of his wedding. But nothing seems to be as elaborate as Solomon's carriage. He made this carriage that he is riding in from the best wood of Lebanon, and there's silver, gold, and royal purple. And the interior was created with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. It's top of the line. Like when my 10-year-old son and I see Tesla, we always tell each other, and, and this carriage is better than a Tesla. It's better than a Benz. It's better than a Bentley. It's the best, whatever the best would be back then. It's just, it's not a minivan. Minivan comes later, but right now he rides in style. He's coming for his bride, and it's a happy day, and it tells us that he is full with gladness in his heart. Now, what I'm about to say 
is the best part of the sermon today. So listen, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I want you to listen. As great as Solomon is who is coming for his bride, so we follow one who is greater than Solomon who is coming also for his bride. We spent last year going through Revelation 19. Revelation leading up to Revelation 19. Remember Revelation 19? That the king is coming for his bride. And that one is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's just as Solomon arrives for the wedding in a glorious procession and the daughters of Zion are implored to admire him, so David's true heir, Jesus Christ, will arrive regally on his wedding day and none can deny him his bride. And all creation will rejoice when he joins humanity to himself. Are you getting this? Jesus is greater than Solomon. Jesus is greater than Solomon in wisdom. Jesus is greater than Solomon in purity of heart. Jesus is greater than Solomon in obedience. He is divine, crucified, resurrected, and reigning. And the ultimate focus of our relationships and our lives should be on Christ. We should long for him, desire to be with him, be with him now, and in glory. So the idea when we see this royal wedding, we are to rejoice and long for Christ to come in victory and his splendor to claim us as his own. Now we're going to transition a bit because that's where we want to land on the wedding preparation, focus on Christ. And the second part of the sermon is going to be less about wedding preparations and, and more on preparing your heart for marriage. It's more of the personal and spiritual preparations you can make for marriage. In order to get us ready, uh, I used to give this um, wedding sermon. um, I'm not going to put the words up, so hold off on the slides on this one I'm going to talk about before we put them up. Uh, I used to give this wedding sermon over and over again many times. I think some of you were married uh, by it, and you're still married, so that must have been really good. I'm sure you remember it. That when you give wedding sermons, the bride and groom are not listening to you at all. At all. At all. So, so I try to make it my goal to say, okay, look, they're not listening, but I'm going to try to make them listen somehow. So I, pick, I would always pick one word to give to the groom to think about all the days of his life. And I would pick one word to give to the bride to think about all the days of her life. And so somehow this one word is from God. It's about his blueprint from marriage. And somehow something would sink in. But right now you're not stressed. You're not dressed up like a bride and groom. So you can listen to it, okay? So I'm going to try to revive that portions of that message that were stored away years ago. And if you want me to bring it back out for your wedding, I can do that. So here's this. I'm about to tell you what God's plan is for your future marriage, current marriage, okay? I'm going to give you one word, but get this. Some of you will push back, and I'm telling you, you are going to push back. And you will say one of three things. You may say, A, man, that's that's just not relevant. That's not relevant to my marriage, my situation, so you may ignore it. And then some of you would say, man, that is so outdated, We are more enlightened these days. We have more information. We know how marriages work, which I think is kind of funny. It's like, uh, how long have you been on this earth? 
Oh, 25 years? Oh, okay. You know better than God then, okay? Yeah? Oh, and who are you? Oh, okay. All right, okay. You have a better plan than God? Okay, great. And the third thing that, that you may say is, you know, God, you're just being so intrusive. You're just messing with me. Don't, don't mind your own business, God. Let me do my marriage my way. And, and if that's you here, where you, you just got this, what you want to do with your, your, your marriage one day or in your current marriage, and you're really not giving God the time of day, you're just trying to pull something off that he created. He created it, and he has a design for it, and especially if you're believers. He's designed it a certain way. And if you want to diss and dismiss him because it's not culturally relevant or you don't want to pay attention to him, how's it going? So some of the things that we're going to see from the Word are going to be hard to take, and I understand that, and I get that, because you've been raised, and I've been raised, in a culture that rails against what we're about to see from God's Word. All right, are you ready for this? I hope you are. Like I said, I'm going to give one word to the men and one word to the women, and it is something you can think about if you're married, and it's something you can think about leading up to marriage. All right, so let's start with the first word for men. It is the word death. It's my favorite one, right? I mean, you're thinking it gets to be romantic. We're supposed to be a you know, wedding day. It's awesome when I say death, and everybody in the crowd's like, are we at a funeral? But men, married men, you are to think death every single day of your married life. Let me give you a passage. Ephesians 5.25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus Christ died for his bride. He was crucified on the cross for his bride to bring her to himself. And he's calling us to imitate him, husbands, in loving our wives sacrificially. And that's why we're to think death. Death to our desires. Death to ourself. So that we can serve our, our, our bride. Well, what did Jesus say? If anybody wants to follow me, let him take up his cross. Come on, let's go. Well, where's Jesus going? Oh, he's going to death. And he's calling you men to die to yourself to serve your wife. All right? I mean, that's not easy to hear. That is not easy to hear at all. Well, what do we mean by death? Let's kind of get more specific at what we mean by that. Well, first thing we mean is you can die and think about the spiritual realm. Spiritual realm. Ephesians 5.23 says this. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Once again, this may sound dated to you, but head has the idea of authority. And just as Christ has authority over the church, so the husband has authority over his wife. Now, before you freak out and start throwing things my way, keep in mind, this is supposed to be a loving and sacrificial authority. You are to die to yourself as you lead your wife. And part of this leadership means that you are to initiate and lead in the spiritual realm. You're to lead in prayer. You're to lead in the worship 
you're to lead in the word and by a godly example. I'm not saying that your wife can't lead out in many of these areas. I'm not saying that at all. But you are to be the guy who's leading your family spiritually. And single guys, I just want to say, if, you, <laughs> if you're not leading yourself right now, what are you going to do when you have a wife? Family, I guarantee you, it will not switch on. It won't. It's like, yeah, I got this switch, man. I'm just going to flip it. And boom, I'm going to be the spiritual leader. It's not going to happen. Are you walking with the Lord right now as a man of God, as a single person? And by God's grace, you will continue to grow, and that will carry on into your dating relationship, into your marriage, and then when you have kids. And I, and I do want to say that, uh, ladies... If, if you're dating a guy right now that you have to drag to church, there'll be no switch when you get married. In fact, you probably don't even do more dragging. He ain't coming. Is the guy you're with now, are you thinking, this guy, surely he'll change when we get married. Then he'll walk with the Lord. Then he'll get in the Word. Then he'll pray for me. It's not going to happen. You're like, yeah, but what about that one person? Okay, one. It's not going to happen. So guys, when you get married and you want to be lazy and you don't want to lead your family in the word, what are you to think? Death. Death to your desires, death to your self-focus so that you can lead your family and the Lord. All right, so that's the spiritual realm. The second area you would think death is in the physical realm. Look at this one. Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Once again, husbands are to imitate Christ's care for the church as he nourishes and cherishes it. And part of the husband's responsibility is to care for his wife in the same way that he would care for himself, both physically and emotionally. Like if someone is about to uh, attack your wife, you are to be, you know, cherish her. You're to be the protector. Like if someone's about to physically attack, be the protector. That's, God's put you there to be the protector. This past uh, Wednesday night, around midnight, um, my whole family's all asleep, and it's around midnight. We go to bed early, so we were sleeping, and one of our dogs starts freaking out, barking, like freaking out. There is something clearly wrong, and my, my wife and I are upstairs, you know, to check on this thing, and, and so I'm a protector, so I did what a protector does. I stayed in bed while my wife went to go check on this scenario, yeah? I'm about to preach this sermon, right? So go down there, woman, take care of that. Um, she goes down, and there's someone ringing our doorbell and knocking like crazy. Like, what is going on? And she, she's all bold and everything. She goes and she opens the door, and there's just guys standing there holding this bag, and she's like, what am I doing? She slams the door to come get her protector. So she comes and finds her lazy protector. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take care of this. What? Some, there's a guy at the door of the bag? Okay. So <laughs> I'm like, I was a little scared, actually. <laughs> so I, go, I went to the door, I open it, and the guy looks at me and he goes, delivery. Delivery? It's midnight. What are you talking? He goes, 
food. You ordered food. Delivery. I'm like, we didn't order food. We're sleeping. We're sleeping. No, no, go away. We did not order food. Who orders food at midnight? Probably most of you, but I said, get out of here. Get out of here. So I go back to my wife, and she's like, what did he want? I'm like, well, he was an intruder, and he was seeking to harm our family, and uh, I protected us, right? (laughs) See, that's what we're... We're supposed to be protectors. But it's not just physically. It's also supposed to be emotionally, relationally, financially, spiritually. This is what I see way too many times. A guy and a girl get married. They have kids. And the kids are going to be kids, and they're crazy. And the guy's like, I don't want to deal with those kids. And so the wife bears significant burden in caring for these crazy kids. And the husband's like, you know, I'm going to go out and do some recreational activity. I'm going to go play in tournaments. I'm going to go climb mountains. I'm going to go smoke some cigars and drink beers with my buds. I'm going to, you know, they go out and the wife is like pulling her hair out and the guy is clueless. So for all you clueless guys in here right now, I am cluing you in. Chances are, if you have young kids, your wife is freaking out and needing you to help. And all the ladies said, amen, amen, amen. And I know what we do is guys are like, oh man, we're, you know, it's 2017, our, our wives can handle it. Now, they don't need me. They don't need me. Like if she has a difficult time at work, they don't need me. They can handle it. Hey, you're there to encourage them, to build them up, to pray for them. And when you want to be focused on yourself and you get lazy and you want to be a slacker, you are to think death. Death to yourself, death to your desires, to serve and love and cherish your wife just like Christ does to you. Now hold off on putting up this next word before I can get in agreement. Let's not put this next word up yet. Let's all agree, all the women in here, let's agree that no matter word you see next, it is not worse than death. You're like, I don't know. What are you going to put up? (laughs) Uh, Come on. It's not worse than death. No matter what you see next, women, it's not worse than death. All right? We have to die. All right? All right. Let's put it up. It's the word help. It's the word help. Where do we get that word from? It comes to the book of Genesis. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Let me give you a technical quote on that helper concept. This is really good. It says, Helper is one who supplies strength, in the area that is lacking in the helped. And we husbands lack a lot and need help. The term does not imply that the helper is either stronger or weaker than the one helped. It's not a demeaning term. Did you know that the Lord is also described as our helper? In, in Psalm 54, 4, he is described as our helper. And the wife is to help 
her husband in many ways, but I'm going to point out two. And these are for discussions later in your ethos, and I want you to talk about them. Number one, the wife is to help her husband spiritually. You know, just before God spoke about creating a helper for Adam, he said that Adam must not eat from the specific tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if he did, he would die. And right after God speaks of creating a helper, Eve comes. So he gives a command, and he says, you need a helper to obey the commands. Do you get this? Wives, you are to help your husbands obey the commands of God. You are to help them walk with Jesus. I need my wife to help me walk with Christ. I need her to pray for me and to encourage me. And you can do that as well for your husbands. But once again, if you are single and you have no desire for the word of God and following Jesus, marriage will not switch this on. Are you walking with the Lord now? Now, as I said before, um, there's nothing worse than for the guys having to die daily, and so the women have to help spiritually. And the second, one, and the second thing, I mean, which is interesting, the most controversial thing I say in the sermon should be that guys have to die. That should be very controversial and uncomfortable. But this will probably be the most controversial, so I'm going to put it up. Uh, the second thing is help through submission. Help through submission. Ephesians 5, 22 and 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Once again, in the marriage relationship, the husband represents Christ and the wife represents the church. This means that the wife is to honor and respect the husband as the leader, just as the church honors and respects Christ as a leader. And one of the ways that wives can do this is by affirming the guy's leadership in the family. It doesn't mean that the wife doesn't give crucial feedback, because wives give crucial feedback and input in the relationship. And it doesn't mean that the husbands are always right. It doesn't mean that your husband will never make a stupid and selfish decision. And the wives say, amen. So, right? Your, your husband is not always going to be right. But it does mean that the wife is there to support, encourage him, and build him up in his leadership. Now, when you hear this, you're like, what, 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 where are we at? What are you talking about? And I, I bet some of you will say, this stuff is from the dark ages. But I want to assure you that it is much older than that. <laughs> it's at least 2,000 years old and older. It's from the Bible. It's God's blueprint for your marriage. I mean, you can ignore it. You can think you know some better way that you've been around 33 years, 34, 35, that you've got a better way. But here's the word. Here's the blueprint. Death and help. And as you think these things in your marriage, perhaps you're going to see that you are serving one another and loving one another and encouraging one another and growing together, but there's still going to be challenges. So I'm going to do something kind of uh, unique here at the end. It's okay. I'm not going to make you say anything. But 
I wondered, what would it look like, um, talking to husbands and wives who are married in here, what would it look like, a little, little reaffirmation of your vows in your heart, not out loud? And I know that would be hard for some of you to hear. Because there's some husbands in here, you know, this is kind of you. You're like, all right, I'm married, and you're telling me to die to my wife. Yeah, but she doesn't respect me. She doesn't respect me, and plus, you know, she's just sometimes borderline emotionally abusive to me. And I'm supposed to die while she says those things to me? And I know there's some wives in here who are like, help my husband? My husband doesn't want my help. He treats me like a roommate. And so when I tell you, hey, let's do a little reaffirmation of vows, you're like, forget that. I don't want to do that. Well, let's do it anyway. Let me put this up for you. Husbands, maybe you could say this to your wife in your heart. I'll die if you help. Wife, well, I'll help if you die. <laughs> those good ones. Now, what is wrong with those statements? It's that word... Uh, Let's put it back up there real quick if we got it anymore. What's wrong? If it, it's like, it's the word um, if. You see it? Well, I'll do this if you do that. And I'll help if you die, right? It's that word if. And, and what, is, what, what is that? that? That you're saying that your help or your love is preconditioned on someone else's response, right? You're saying, I will do this as long as you do that. In fact, I'm going to wait for you to do that, then I'll do it. So you're preconditioning your love, on how they are treating you first. But that's not the way Christ does it with us. Christ loved you not because of your reaction to him, but in spite of it. Christ loved you not because you did all these great things, but you're wicked. And in spite of your wickedness, he loved you. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were in your wickedness, Christ died for you to forgive your sins through faith. And you can be cleansed and washed and forgiven. And now the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, lives in you. And by God's grace, you can love someone and respond in a godly way even if they are unresponsive or they even strike back. That's got to be the hardest thing to hear, I know. I understand. I, I get that. But you can do your part while you wait for them to do their part. How about this? If you've been one of those guys and girls who are always going at it, you know, you and your wife or husband are always just... just, just you know, going at each other. What if you did this? What if you just focused on your part and let God take care of their part? So if your husband says, well, why are you not talking back to me? Why are you not letting me argue? Just say to him, I'm just letting God deal with you in a gracious way. And husbands, you can do your part. And your wife's like, well, why don't you all mix it up? Come on, let's, let's argue again. So no, no, no. I'll, just like, I'll, I'll let God deal with you. How about a heart commitment that says, I'm going to do something for my spouse regardless of their reaction and regardless of what they give back to me. So here it is. Here are the inward heart vows. Let me put this up for you. Husbands, how about this? I'll die on a daily basis 
to serve you. And the wife, I'll help on a daily basis to serve you. No if statements. No preconditions. Just love. As Christ has loved you. Let's pray. Father, I do realize that there could be uh, some stuff that's just no more painful than being in a difficult marriage. And there are some here who feel that. And I just ask that they would cry out to you. And I just ask that they would examine their heart. I know some of them have felt like they've been doing this forever and there's no positive response on behalf of their spouse. Give them perseverance. Give them endurance. Give them love. Give them grace. And we continue to ask that you'd work a miracle. But may they continue to walk by faith and respond with love and grace and mercy. And serve one another. And Lord, I ask that you bring healing. And if there's the family, the church needs to come alongside, that we'll do it. To serve and to love. Just do works in the marriages in here today. And do works in the rest of us, even if we're not married, that you, you love us. And your love for us is not conditioned upon us being good people because we're not good. That's why we rejoice in your grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen.